my name is Mark Vina, and welcome to the Smart Tech Check podcast, where we cover all tech topics that are smart home, home automation, security, and console gaming related. Today is Thursday, June 10th, 2021. Today's podcast is all about WWDC 21, the annual event where Apple gives us a sneak peek on what's coming with its various operating system platforms that will be released later in the year. So there's a lot to talk about. Let me bring up my uh, group of wonderful correspondents for this. And there they are. How are you guys doing? Good. Doing great. Well, we, we got here just for people who are not familiar with the podcast and are watching it for the first time. We've got Rob Pegarero, an admittedly cranky tech journalist, only because you have that on your LinkedIn profile, Rob. Cranky you're, and curious. Yes, you're cranky and curious. I certainly don't want to, to, to uh, prevent you from describing yourself that way. Uh, you uh, have written for the USA Today, the Washington Post, and Yahoo Finance, just to name a few of the publications you've contributed to. We've got John Quain, who has written for the New York Times and Digital, uh, Digital Trends. John, hello. Good morning. And, and finally, we've got a fill-in for Stuart Walpin, who typically is here, but I think he's waiting online at a Mets game. I'm just, I got to say that because he's <laughs> That's, you know, what's what he likes to do all the time. But uh, he was tied up. So we've got Dwight Silverman, certainly a very able fill-in, person I've known for a long time, a long-term, uh, long-time tech editor, the Houston Chronicle, I think it was 21 years, which is frightening, Dwight, because that's right around when I think I met you. So it was 30 years. I was there. 30, 30 years. years. Yeah, 30 wow. plus. Wow. Now, now you're scaring me. I go. I don't go back to the audience. I don't go back. That far. <laughs> uh, and now he's a, a tech staff writer for Forbes. So, gentlemen, welcome to the podcast. Hello, welcome to the podcast. Uh, no, thank you. <laughs> Please say that. Um, so uh, anyway, a lot to talk about uh, before I bring up the list of topics uh, here. Uh, but uh, just very, very quickly, you know, John, we were talking before the broadcast uh, started. Um, I have a feeling I know, generally speaking, the high level, what three, the three of you will probably say. You know, I wrote a piece about this on Forbes yesterday uh, where the title was, it was Rinse and Repeat. That got a lot of attention, <laughs> apparently. But give me your quick uh, 30 seconds and what was your kind of reaction to it? Did you or did you just snooze after they brought the VP of um, API uh, engineering development come up? You kind of uh, turned off the podcast. Right. When they started talking about APIs, look, I have to write about APIs all the time and explain them to people. But I don't want to hear a whole you know, presentation about them, quite honestly. Um, I did I did run out of steam. I, I felt like eh, it wasn't terribly exciting. There was a lot of catch up stuff we'll talk about, you know, for other products that are already out there. And uh, but yeah, it didn't didn't grab me very much. You know, uh, maybe everybody's like, it's sunny. We don't have to wear masks. And they're all outside and they're gone. Maybe that was it. I, I was a little creeped out when Tim Cook walked out on the stage and there was a bunch <laughs> of avatars and we're perfectly done. And by the way, I'm, I, I have to check the video, but I'm pretty sure every seat was a different avatar. I don't think they had a lot of duplicate avatars. Uh, right. Quite why you're shaking? <laughs> yes, yes, I looked at that too. Yeah. Why <laughs> uh, was your what was your quick uh, thirty second take on it before we go into the deep dive topics? Um, so I was really surprised. You know, a year ago they had launched the uh, the M1 chip, right? Then they would just call it Apple Silicon, and it was like you know a momentous event. And you were hard pressed to hear any references to it. I, I went through the transcript, and they were. Four minor references to it, but you know, as you said in my story on Forbes, Mark, there's no, there was no victory lap. There was no 
we've had this kind of acceptance for it. We've made these advances because of it. Um, it was almost persona non grata. Uh, granted, it's a software show, but last year was where they introduced it. So you would think at the very least they would revisit it technologically. And there was nothing. Yeah, that, that actually surprised me, too. And, I'll, and there's a great story on Apple Insider this morning talking about that very fact. And uh, but the interesting thing is, and we'll get to, I don't want to, you know, derail the podcast, but the interesting thing about that, there are going to be many specific M1 specific features that can only be enabled when you have an M1 or an Apple Silicon uh, uh, desktop or, 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 or portable that you will not be able to activate or utilize with um, a um, uh, Intel-based Mac. And, and that's part of their strategy. You know, I mean, they want to say, hey, we've got features that we can enable that even if Intel enables them, the OEMs are not enabling them for whatever reason. So it was interesting to me. They didn't, even, they didn't press that button too much. But regardless, we'll, we'll talk about that in more detail. Rob, your quick 30 seconds. So on the one hand, I was surprised to see no new hardware at all. Yes, mm -hmm. it's a developer conference. It's supposed to be about the software. But it has been a while since there have been any new uh, Apple Silicon-powered computers introduced. Apple is still selling at a pretty exorbitant rate, uh, you know, an Intel-powered MacBook Pro. So I don't really want with that. The other hand, on the other hand, it was interesting to see in how many cases Apple was trying to catch up with competition in areas like video conferencing. Mm -hmm. Apple has only noticed that some of us don't actually only buy Apple computers. So you can finally get into a FaceTime chat if somebody right. else invites you on a Windows computer, on an Android phone. So yeah. exactly 11 years after Steve Jobs introduced FaceTime, saying we're going to open source this so everybody can support it, Apple is finally giving us interoperability. Yeah, well, I, I want to hit that in a bit more detail right. in a second. So with that, let me bring up the, my magical screen here. You, I love special effects. So let's talk about, um, you know, you know, do you, do you think it moved the needle? You think we're being too hard on Apple? I mean, after all, they from a, if you had a scale and you could weigh the number of features they announced, and this is true of every operating, uh, operating system announcement in Apple, there are hundreds and hundreds of features and many, many features that weren't even were not even talked about at WWDC. They, you know, they're, they're they're detailed in the developer breakouts after, and they may not get the glamorous attention that the the get but you know pound for pound <laughs> they do announce a lot of little stuff so from that per narrow perspective do you think it moved the needle john i don't think it did i think it was you know i think it's also a sign of the times though too it's not just apple everybody there's a general slowdown some of it's due to you know there aren't enough fab plants in the world anymore to build chips that we actually need we just started shutting them down years ago there aren't enough anymore. Um, there haven't been, you know, we haven't been together working together to create some new things that that clearly requires. So it's, I think it's more a reflection of the general slowdown. And, and there was a fair amount of catching up, which Rob already alluded to. But yeah, I, I didn't think it moved the needle very much. And a lot of features talked about, which was like, okay, we'll have that on maps coming up in New York. But we talked about that a year and a half ago. So it yeah. wasn't very much new. Rob, from a developer perspective, here's where I need a third hand. On the other other hand, the, the <laughs> keynote had nothing at all about the number one complaint from developers, which is this 30% take Apple wants to take of every single transaction and prohibit developers from explaining why they can't tell people where else they could go to sign up for the membership or open an account or whatever. Uh, it's become an existence tax. 
And as the Fortnite case has shown, a lot of Apple's arguments in favor of it aren't that great. Right. Uh, likewise, the problem of App Store fraud, where, you know, the Washington Post did the study of just the 1,000 top grossing apps, not looking for edge cases weighing in some obscure corner of the store, but apps that are making a lot of money that uh, I think it was John Gruber, the Mac blogger, who pointed out that in a casino, if you're doing really well, they're going to pay extra attention to you. That doesn't seem to be the case at the App Store. And when scam apps rip off customers, it hurts the developers of legitimate apps. And mm -hmm. there was nothing, maybe that was covered in some of the side sessions. I sure hope so, because this is a problem for Apple and for its users. Dwight? Um, you know, I think that taken as a whole, kind of as an ecosystem, I think it did move the needle, but not that much. If you look at the, at one of the things that they really emphasized was interoperability between devices. That's one of the big Mac selling points. The APIs that kind of, you know, made our eyes glaze over, actually a lot of that is involved in interoperability and in bringing in outside developers to be able to use some of those features. So I think in that context, there was some needle moving. Um, but I agree uh, to a certain extent with the, the fact that it was unusual that they didn't mention um, you know, issues in the app store or, or try to step in and say, okay, we've heard you, we're going to do this, except that they are in the middle of uh, a legal dispute. There wow. is a verdict pending. And it, to a certain extent, that's kind of like a quiet period before you wow. announce earnings. You know, you've got to be very careful with what you say. And there's the European version of the trial that's looming out there. So I think they kind of were in a position where they couldn't really do anything with that yet from a legal standpoint. No, I think you're right, Dwight. I think that's a very observant um, thing for you to say, because I think that any, you know, com big companies I've worked for is when you're announcing something and there might be a trial in the background going on, the lawyers are going to tell you, you know, keep your mouth shut. That's Never. right. Shut up. <laughs> Yeah, so let's uh, let's hit the next topic here, uh, and that is if I can bring it up here. Come on, everybody. There we go. Uh, we talked about FaceTime, uh, new Apple, Apple Silicon was a no-show. Um, we talked a little bit about that at the beginning. Uh, you know, the FaceTime thing to me was honestly, um, it's you know, cracked the ecosystem, the, the the famous wall garden. I mean, I don't think it's a huge. Um, crack, but nevertheless, it's a crack nevertheless. I think they're feeling the pressure, and I wrote about this um, yesterday, I think they're feeling the pressure from all the major video conferencing apps, because they were, you know, in, in some respects, they were kind of playing catch up with some of the features they've added. And even the Android and browser um, stuff, it, and again, I have, you know, I, I, it will be interesting to see how they execute that. In other words, can you initiate a FaceTime call from a Windows browser or from an no. Android browser? See, that's what I thought. That's no, what it'll be just a link. Yeah. Because yeah. I saw I, I saw a story this morning that was absolutely wrong because it, it said basically you can, you can have FaceTime calls starting from a Windows or an Android device. And I, I, I would, would have been really surprised, frankly. Um, and that's a problem, you know, because, you know, you know, much of the world, by the way, still uses Android and uh, uses Windows. Uh, but anyway, John, what was your thought on the FaceTime uh, changes? Well, it's it's weird, you know. I've brought this up before. It was like this is a technology that's been around for since 1995. I think I've used it, and it took a pandemic, right, to make people go and use video conferencing. And Zoom just came out of nowhere and 
basically bumped everybody else out of it, just completely took over. They dominate, dominate, dominate. And FaceTime is like, yeah, I do it with my daughter, you know? Um, but, uh, you know, for everybody else. So this was just a recognition of, it's like email. Look, it doesn't work if you can't communicate with everybody. Mm-hmm. So if you can only send it to certain systems or only call certain systems. Uh, and you're right. Um, what it happens is, um, you know, somebody on the Apple side with I, uh, OS 15 and those features enabled can invite you as a lowly Windows 10 user <laughs> into the fold and you can join the call. Um, but that's probably good enough. I don't think they have to do much more because, you know, one of my relatives or one of my business associates will initiate the call and boom, we're all on it if they want to use F- FaceTime. But they got a lot of catching up to do. I mean, you know, look at Skype and what's happened to it. It's it's just kind of pathetic. <laughs> Rob. Same, you know, communications platform. The one thing I don't want to have to think about is what device am I holding? Am I using the right device for it? <laughs> Zoom, I don't have to worry about that. This Mac, right. that Windows laptop, this iPad, this Android phone. Uh, same experience, just some of these things are harder to position properly to get the camera in the right spot. Um, Certainly good of them to finally address that glaring feature gap. Uh, As far as Apple Silicon, yeah, you know, I I really, the rumors were very specific. The the Apple news sites are rarely as wrong as they were in this case. And it is kind of time you'd expect to see an an M1X or an M2 or you could call it the the next chip, the MX, if you're a fan of 1980s Pentagon headlines. Um, (laughs) But nothing on that. And... I assume there's going to be some new hardware announced at some point, uh, especially since I'm in the market for a new desktop and would at least like to get a Mac mini with uh, less of a ripoff on uh, storage on board. Well, you know, let's talk, you know, uh, I'd like to actually uh, pick uh, Dwight's brand because uh, Dwight, you just bought a brand new shiny um, iMac not too long ago, you know, right before the, uh, the, the, the back there. Yep. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, now, do you regret, you know, outside the fact that Apple did not announce the next level of silicon, but do you regret that you bought that iMac? I know you love it. You know, you you, you and I have talked about that. You love the, because the, the one you had was uh, quite old. But do you regret that you didn't hold off for an Apple? Um, uh, at the moment, no. Um, you know, you had mentioned there are some features that uh, in Mac OS Monterey won't support on Intel Macs. There was actually an iMore story on that this morning. And there is about four or five of them, maybe six Macs that um, that they listed, and they got this from Apple's um, uh, press releases that have little asterisks on them. Um, and looking at them, the only one that I'm kind of sad that I won't be able to use on my 27-inch iMac is the uh, live text where you can search within text. Right. Um, and that's that's kind of about the only thing. I mean. The the 27 inch iMac is a beast, and in terms of performance and anything it can do, I have no regrets. I'm talking to you now on a review unit for a, the 24 inch iMac, and it's really fast. But if I go between the two of them, just in terms of just day to day usage, I really can't tell much much of a difference. On on FaceTime. You know, there were some other features mentioned in there that uh, are not necessarily business oriented yet, did a lot of catching up with Zoom, with grid display and that type of thing. But it also and and I'm what I'm really interested in is that all of these are kind of pandemic 
related features. So the idea of watching television, watching uh, things from Apple TV and, and Disney Plus and so forth on your phone with other people or on your Mac with other people is really interesting. And um, But it's something we would not have had if we hadn't had the coronavirus pandemic. Right. Right. Uh, there's a whole, you know, Disney Plus has like this feature kind of built into it if you want to use it. So they're still kind of catching up there. But there were a lot of FaceTime features that are actually pandemic inspired. And, and that just fascinates me. Yeah. And, and I would also add to that before we hit the next topic is that the um, capability to schedule FaceTime calls. Now, most families, you know, they look at FaceTime as a, I'm going to call someone. You know, on the fly, you know, on the spur of the moment, it's very, very simple to use. It's got that Apple simplicity built into it. Uh, but the ability to schedule is generally a business feature. You know, I, I generally don't schedule a call with my mom. <laughs> She'd like to be to schedule calls with my mom. <laughs> but that doesn't typically happen. But, anymore. Come on, you know the drill. <laughs> yeah, I know. After the Yankee game is over, I'll, 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 I'll give her a shout. Um, you know, one topic, John, that you brought up here, and it actually occurred to me is the changes to iMessages, you know, the, the share play. Which they're calling it, and before you get into it, I, I I do kind of I think I know where you're going with this because again this kind of falls into that they're adding so much capability and functionality to iMessage. You know they really want to turn that into a really robust quasi social sharing tool where you can share just about everything. And you know, but you know, do you get to a point of diminishing returns where it gets so confusing to use that the user? You know, this is kind of like Dwight, you know, uh, you know, Microsoft Word back in the early 90s where they were adding all these features to Microsoft Word. And Microsoft did a study and they found out that most users were still only using 10 or 15 percent of the features in Microsoft Word, uh, Word because they just the other features were just not that important to them. Are, John, are we headed into that type of scenario with iMessages? I think we are. I mean, I understand the problem, right? We're all overwhelmed with uh, messages of all sorts. I mean, I even funnel them all into one account and it's still overwhelming and I'll still go back out and go, okay, where did that message come from? You know, um, and it, it, it's, it, there's too much of it. And so their solution is, well, you can organize it into all these kinds of different uh, buckets. And that, so if you're at work, you only get the work ones and block the personal ones. And then if you're at dinner, you can shut it off and tell people you're at dinner or not tell them, uh, you know, and, and then you start like, I've got, you know, 5,000 contacts or something. Am I supposed to go through them all and say work business, you know, you go here. I mean, I don't think that's going to work. It'll be interesting to try it out to see how it functions. Uh, and I understand trying to address the problem, but I don't think it's going to help. And then there are these other categories of, well, these are the really important stories that you missed that were linked to you that maybe you already read at the New York Times when you were on the website. But anyway, you know, it's just, it, it looked kind of endless. Um, it's great to, that they're adding that functionality and maybe there'll be a way to make it work. But it seemed like, wow, it was just making the problem worse rather than better. Yeah, it looked pretty complex. Rob, yeah. your thoughts? I want to know about this universe in which you can just shut off notifications from work. Because uh, that's not the one I live in. I'm pretty sure Apple <laughs> employees will not be allowed to set that option in their own copy. Of that's messages. a very good point. <laughs> yeah. No, no right. you cannot disable email from Tim Cook. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure there's a lot of people on Tim's Cook staff that could do that all the time. I'm sure they have. You know, um, Dwight, your th your thoughts? 
<laughs> well, you know, one of the things that they kind of have this feature already, do not disturb, and you can designate people to break through the wall. And I think Tim Cook are, will get through the wall every time. Um, <laughs> so, I, you know, it's <laughs> one of the thing. one of the interesting things that I've noticed more and more, and this is an iOS, the current version of iOS, is that um, the AI is getting smarter at making suggestions about implementing this feature. Do you want to do this? Do you want to do that? And I suspect that that may be a way to surface some of the features uh, that are part of this focus component uh, in iMessage. So you could be at work and getting you know a bunch of personal emails, and your phone may say, you're getting a lot of personal emails at your work location. Do you want to pause those? And that would be a good way to use it where you don't have to think about using it. It's just saying, hey, this could make it better. And then, of course, you obviously could would have to say, don't even ask me that. Right. But um, but it, it would be a good way using the AI that they're they're clearly making a lot of advances on to, to surface these and make them less complex and not so messy. One of, they have other major problems with this. Okay, another one is um, the priority for those people is not locked onto a person, right? It might be that on today, I really need to hear from her. Mondays or the next day, not so important. Uh, personal emails and messages, I'm trying to do a closing right now. If one of those messages comes through, I'm going to dump you guys, right? Because that's the most, the highest priority right now. But it wasn't, those personal messages were not a priority yesterday. So, you know, there's a lot of trouble with this and, and machine learning is not going to solve it. I, I, re I really don't think so. I mean, there is one way to solve it. Turn it off. <laughs> well, you know, I don't agree necessarily that machine language will, will solve it. It isn't solving it now, but... Down the road, if you, if you could, if you indicated, or if the machine learning was good enough, and it saw language related to a house closing, it could let that through. And so, you know, it's possible to do it. Whether you would, whether it would be done in iOS 15, maybe, maybe not. But that certainly is the way Apple appears to be going with some of its uh, with some of its features. Well, but, well, you know, I think all of you, everything you guys are saying is absolutely spot on. Um, the one thing I will leave you with, though, before we go to the next topic, uh, you know, if, if there's this one feature I want Apple to add to iMessage, please create a Windows client. Okay. I mean, right. they're, ne they're never going to do Don't that. Don't hold your breath. No, I'm not holding my <laughs> breath. They're keeping guys like me in the ecosystem. I, I understand marketing, you know, but that, that to me, and that's one of the keys to the kingdom. And that, that's probably certainly one thing that they're probably not going to do. And I, I bet internally they got a lot of, um, I bet the decision to open up FaceTime, even in the limited way that they're opening it up, I bet that got some pushback internally. You know? So will FaceTime people coming in from Android and Windows be green and, uh, and you'll have blue bubbles for people coming in from Apple? Is it going to be another one of those where they're psychologically tormenting you for having Android yeah, friends? Bubbled. I know it. Well, a good question and a topic for us to, to discuss in the next podcast. <laughs> um, th this is your baby, Rob. You know, yeah. uh, Rob, you're the, um, you're, you, you know, you want to rant. Here's your two minutes to rant about why is there no kid mode in iOS and iPadOS? Okay, so here's what I want. Before handing my <laughs> over my iPad to my daughter, I want to set it so only approved apps run and everything else is suppressed, including their notifications, so my kid doesn't have to see people yelling at me on Twitter. 
That's what I wrote two years ago mm-hmm. before there was a pandemic. The need right. has only gotten worse. You want to be able to hand the device over so it only runs like Roblox, uh, Minecraft, YouTube Kids, whatever, ideally for a set amount of time so the screen time will expire. And, and that's it. They don't see your notifications. They can't tweet as you. They can't erase your browser history because they were reading some uh, wiki about their favorite YouTuber or whatever. Uh, and that's not there. And it's like Apple has to know this is a problem, but they seem determined not to add any sort of multi-user support, even though, I mean, I'm not sketching out a hypothetical feature because Windows Phone, of all things, added something like this with Kids Corner, I think in 2012. So I assume developers at Apple and iOS project managers actually have human offspring. Um, so why are they trying to piss me off? Why are they? So, so, so if your org chart drives feature choices like this, I mean, leave that to Microsoft. They're better at it anyways. That's so, why, so, are there any other Android devices? That, your customers uh, here. Ahead, are, are there any Android devices that do that, like Android tablets, tablets. that have a kids mode? Yeah, friends of mine have they've had to switch to buying uh, Kindle Fire right. tablets for their kid because Amazon does include that on their fork of Android. Right. Uh, you know, and so, I don't know, I think Amazon should probably send an Amazon gift card to somebody at Apple at some point for all the in-time marketing <laughs> they've done by ignoring this use case. And it, it's been years, to Rob's point, it has been years, and Amazon has had that feature for years. So it, it's not... It's not like nobody thought of this, it's, and it's everybody's kids uses these devices. Of course they do. It's like, come on. Well, by the way, it's just not for kids. I mean, how many times have you been with someone, a family member, somebody else? Can I borrow your phone? Can I borrow yeah. your tablet? And there might be sensitive information on that device, you know. And and you know, you turn your back, and all of a sudden, someone's going through your text messages. You know? So interesting. Google I/O. Uh, Google announced they're going to add a feature like that to Android, but only in. Um, the, the cut down version of Android they do for developing markets. I think Android one, where they, they cited stats showing this many people in India share phones. So you would invoke this and it's in a guest mode. Um, you can actually set that up in regular Android, but it's so buried. I didn't know that was a possibility until reading about this, but they're not going to add the shortcut to the US spec version of Android, even though, yeah, it's, it's an issue here too. No, and you're absolutely right, uh, Mark, too, about sharing. I, you know, now that people are able to do this, you go to the beach house or the cottage or whatever, and somebody says, oh, I just need to check my email. Can I borrow your laptop? And my reaction is kind of like, you're asking no. for my toothbrush. That's what you're asking me to do, and I'm not going to lend you my toothbrush. I'm sorry. <laughs> well, there's guest mode in Mac OS, so you, know, you can switch it over to guest mode for them. There is guest mode, but I never remember how to enable it. There's a, there's a, there's a, what you you gotta hold down the power button, and there's a a way of enabling it. You can you can log yourself out, and you go to the login screen if you've got it turned on, and it's just in settings, and it says you know guest account and your account, and then you just click them in there. Dwight makes it sound so simple. I think he's working. (laughs) He's working. Uh, It does seem to decided that. Multi-user support is one of those things that makes a Mac a Mac, and the lack of it makes iOS and iPadOS not a yep. Mac. Right. Whereas you could just look at what people want to do with their devices. Right. Uh, I, I want to conclude the podcast with the f- few minutes we have left here on the iCloud uh, Plus enhancements um, uh, because there was a, I, 
kind of interesting that uh, they're going down that path and that seems to me that they're, you know, they're trying to, you know, fend off and add more value to their cloud storage capability versus um, Dropbox and, and, and OneDrive and others. Uh, but they're also adding a lot of security enhancements, privacy enhancements, I thought, iCloud. Now, by the way, that, that's the paid version of iCloud, not the free version that you typically get. Thank right. you very much. I, I like that finger, John. I think you're right. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely right. You're absolutely right. Yeah. But uh, let, let's talk about that. I'm gonna, let me, I, I want Dwight to t uh, start with that because Dwight, you had, you wanted to uh, opine on that a bit. Yes. So one of the interesting, there's, there's two aspects that I think are really interesting. First of all, you know, I, I know many, many people who use iCloud storage, but they're using the free iCloud storage, which is five gigabytes. And they are, they will go in and delete stuff before they'll pay Apple for the higher tier. And I suspect this may be part, part I mean, they could, didn't have to do it this way. Uh, I think they may be doing this in an attempt to kind of upset, get people to upsell. Yeah. Um, what's, what's really interesting about one of them uh, and and since kind of my primary job at Forbes is doing a paid newsletter, is um, uh, is this is this uh, email service that will allow you to use a blind email address with anything, and it also prevents things like uh, uh, pixels, which indicate in an email that it has been opened, tying it to your location and, and your account, and. For all the journalists who have gone to, you know, Substack and and things like the Forbes Journalist Entrepreneur Program, suddenly it cuts off the data. And uh, there are other ways to do it, but it's going to have a real impact, I think. Uh, on no. Casey, Casey Newton, who is kind of one of the stars on the tech world and Substack, had a good newsletter on this yesterday. But I think that... Um, uh, I, I think that's a really interesting approach and something that maybe not necessarily will hurt as bad as people think it does. I think, you know, you, you nailed it, uh, Dwight. Uh, they've declared, you know, in many ways, they started, you know, this has been in, in play for some time. I mean, you could argue that Apple has really, you know, declaring war on ad tech in general. Um, the newsletter function uh, uh, publishers, obviously, are going to feel a lot of pressure on this, but... There was, uh, I, I forget who wrote it, but there was a great story this morning ta uh, talking about how um, that uh, capability for many third-party companies to, to you know, tell you what your open rate on your email is, when the email was open, IP address information, absolutely these are all privacy-related issues. But a lot of those companies are probably shuddering in their boots right now because th th this would seem to really take a big, big shot at them. So uh, will be interesting. Uh, uh, Rob, your thoughts? So with iCloud Plus, and we should note here that this is any paid plan. I think if you just pay like the, the dollar a month for, what is it, 50 gigs or 100 gigs, you still get mm -hmm. this, this, not VPN, but a sort of like cloud relay service that anonymizes you. So that's nice. Yeah. Uh, the iCloud news, I was happier to see. I mean, what I wanted to see was that you would get more than five gigs, like go to 15 gigs, like what Google gives you. But mm -hmm. Apple will basically loan you iCloud storage for free if you're moving from one device to another and you'd use iCloud to back them up. So that's great. That addresses an actual problem and they're leaving money on the table. So good job, Apple, for that. Um, in terms of, you mentioned HomeKit. I was wondering if anyone was going to mention that Apple, you know, there was this Matter announcement of a yes. smart home standard, you know, like all the other smart home standards. 
where Apple, their, their logo was on the presentations, but they didn't really say much about it. Well, they went out of their way to endorse it. They did. They did. They were very, very powerful endorsement. They Typically, Apple doesn't do that in keynotes unless it's a big deal. And yeah, I was, so that, I was that's good to the extent we can at some point stop having to worry about what smart home gadget supports which standard and will it be able to control from which of the five devices I might have around the house. Mm -hmm. Well, you'll have to update, you'll have to update a lot of your uh, um, work uh, smart home software. I mean, hardware, because, you know, some, a lot of existing things, even though they're tied to Amazon or Google or Apple, it'll, in theory, it'll work with all of them, won't support matter uh, later on. So yeah. you may have to do some updating. You know, and you know, what's interesting, you know, what's interesting about that is that the reason why, you know, from a personal standpoint, I have a uh, Nest thermostat, which obviously the only that only works either with uh, either um, Google or with uh, Amazon and most of the other devices better good. I've been using um, home um, home kit and Siri to, to manipulate it. And it drives me crazy when I have to pause for five seconds. OK, what? command should I invoke to control my thermostat? <laughs> so if, if, if they could, if that solves the problem, and apparently I've been told, I haven't done it yet, but apparently I was told that they act, that's one of the early wins in the matter initiative, they fixed that, that issue, you know, that interoperability issue. So I have to test that to see if it really does work, but uh, it's a problem that, that needs to be solved. And by the way, I, this is orthogonal, but I don't know if you guys saw that story this morning that uh, the European Union uh, is taking some shots at that um, at the uh, connected uh, the uh, CSA the Connectivity St uh, Standards Alliance. What was Zigbee? Uh, that's behind Matter because they think Matter might be anti-competitive. Go figure. But go read go read go read about that after the after the podcast is over. <laughs> I mean, stand, standards are kind of anti-competitive. Yeah. I mean, do be careful though of what you wish for. So having you know, I've got like. 40 devices or something in my house all connected and I'm plugging thermostats and trying new things all the time. And of course, none of them work together. Um, and every once in a while, somebody says, oh, they yank support from us for our nest or what have you. But when they do work together, they better be bulletproof because right now I'll have a system go down. That's okay. Those cameras went down. I still have eyes on another set of cameras or that's okay. Nest is still there to turn the thermostat on in the middle of the winter. So my pipes don't freeze, even though everybody else has crashed when the internet went off and then came back. So having everybody work together, once they actually do start to work together on a standard, they better be bulletproof because right now they're in charge of things that are pretty critical, leak reports, fire, you know, think of fire and smoke, carbon monoxide, or yeah, all of that. Uh, and I don't think they're there yet, technically. Right. Well, I was gonna say before, I have been a very slow adapter of the smart home. I don't have a smart fridge, just a feature fridge. Uh, I have a few, uh, few light bulbs. That is it. And honestly, for a lot of stuff, uh, so some of you may notice I'm wearing a, a poll workers t-shirt. I worked the Democratic primary in Virginia yesterday. And that's a great way to see why you don't want devices online. The, the scanner we use to read everybody's ballot plugged into nothing but a power outlet. Uh, the electronic poll books, I believe those are offline as well. Uh, if you really want to secure something, just don't put it online, and a whole lot of security issues go away that way. 
I just want to say something to my audience. It's wonderful to have a guy on your podcast that's called the Smart Tech Check Podcast who claims that he doesn't like to put smart products in his house. So that, <laughs> you know, there might be there might be a consistency issue there, but we'll talk about that offline. Well, you no, need no, you no. need balance. You need some balance, Mark. Well, uh, <laughs> right, close it out before we uh, shut down the podcast. Well, you know, one of the things about HomeKit is that um, it's, it has struggled for so long to gain traction against Google and against Amazon. Um, you know, I'm kind of like you. I've got uh, an Apple TV and I've got a HomePod and I have uh, the Amazon Echo and I've got a Nest. And really the only thing I ever use to turn on anything, I tell the uh, HomePod to turn my Apple TV on and everything else is with Alexa. And, and I would like to kind of have everything come together. Um, and I, and at some point it's not going to matter whether it's HomeKit or, or Google or Alexa, they'll just all work together, but it's going to be a while till all these things kick in. And, and as I said earlier, you may have to replace a lot of the things that you have now. No, that's true. And, And not only that, I'll just conclude with this statement is that the, the challenge you have with all these standards, and it's been like this since day one, Dwight, knows this uh, full well, and I th- I'm sure both of you guys know this um, well, is that anytime you go to a standards body and you try to create, hey, here's a layer that every one of our products, disparate as they might be, are going to function uh, equally, the moment one company steps out of line and says, well, my hardware is capable of doing this, not just this, but the right. standards are not going to support that, then you get into like, well, you know, maybe we're not, you know, you, you, know, you, you lose as, you're, as a manufacturer, you lose that ability to differentiate yourself. So that's, that's an ongoing down challenge. And we actually should really have a, um, a podcast about that. But guys, we're out of time here. Thank you, uh, Dwight, Rob, and John for uh, listening, uh, taking the time to join me for today's podcast. For our viewing and listening audience, please subscribe to the Smart Tech Check podcast on YouTube and Apple Podcasts. And follow us on Facebook, LinkedIn, and Twitter. And until next time, have a great week.